Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. One of the most important decision makers on economic policy in our country is the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board. I recently sat down with the chairman, Jay Powell, to talk about interest rates, inflation, and the overall economy in 2023. So, Jay, um, thank you very much for being here. And why don't we start with an easy question? <laughs> so, you made a speech last week commenting on the FOMC's decision to raise the Fed discount rate by um, a, a small amount, relatively speaking, 25 basis points. Some people would say that was small. Um, but at the time, it wasn't clear that the jobs report would be as strong as it turned out to be subsequently. Had you known that the jobs report was going to be as strong, <laughs> would you have done 25 basis points or something different? David, thank you for that question, and thank you, <clears throat> thank you for inviting me here today. It's great to be here. Uh, so we don't get to play it that way, unfortunately. We have to, uh, but I'll, so I'll, I'll, I'll take it this way. <clears throat> uh, so the message we were sending at the FOMC meeting last Wednesday was really that um, the disinflationary process, the process of getting inflation down, has begun, and it's begun in the goods sector, which is uh, about a quarter of our economy. But it has a long way to go. These are the very early stages of disinflation. So the services sector really, except for housing services, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, is not really showing any, any disinflation yet. So our message really was this process is likely to take quite a bit of time. Uh, it's not going to be, uh, we don't think, smooth. It's probably going to be bumpy. And so we think that we're going to need to do further rate increases, as we said, and we, we think that we'll need to hold policy at a restrictive level for a period of time. If next month you had another 519,000 jobs created, net jobs, would that be good or bad? From your point of view, have we a lot of people working, but maybe producing more inflation? We, we don't. We do not have the luxury of thinking about good or bad. It just is what it is. So, but I, I would say again, we most most analysts, most economists would say that to get inflation down from high levels that we've had, if you look at history, there is some softening in labor market conditions that goes along with that, and that is still, you know, very possible and indeed likely here. Some softening in labor market conditions, however. This cycle is different from other cycles because of where it came from, and it's just confounded all, all sorts of attempts to predict what it would do. Okay, so the markets, um, after your speech last week, the markets assumed that, therefore, there would probably be another 25 basis point increase in your next FOMC meeting. Um, was that a bad assumption by the markets? So, what, again, what we said at the meeting was... <laughs> was that uh, we, we believe that we anticipate, is what we said, that uh, ongoing rate increases will be appropriate. Uh, and the reason is we're trying to achieve a stance of policy that is sufficiently restrictive to bring inflation down to 2% over time. And we don't think we've achieved that yet. So we said that, uh, and, I, and you know, now you see the labor market report, and I think, again, financial conditions are, are, are more well aligned with that than they were before. So the assumption when you made your speech was that probably the Fed might even consider uh, 
decreasing rates by the end of this year, and the markets no longer assume that. You think the markets are wrong? Well, uh, so let me say, these are, um, all of these numbers that we're throwing around here are conditional on incoming data and what happens. So we never say this is, this is what we think will happen. We, you know, we, we make a tentative forecast and then we let the data come in. For example, if the data were to continue to come in stronger than we expect, and we were to conclude that we needed to raise rates more than is priced into the markets or than we wrote down at our last for group of forecasts in December, then we would certainly do that. We would certainly raise rates more. So you've said your inflation rate target is 2%. Um, but why 2% and not 3%? 3% you know, could be tolerable, really. I mean, most, for most of organized history, 3% is considered okay. Why do you want 2%? So 2% is the global standard. And that is our objective, 2% as measured by the, the uh, PCE uh, index. And that's just, that's not something we're looking at changing. That isn't going to change. It's, that's not going to change. Not going to change, no. But, okay, so you need to get the 2% and your goal to get there is by what period of time would you like to get there? Well, we say, we say that we're using our tools to get there over time. If you look at our forecasts, we expect 2023 to be a year of significant declines in inflation, and it's actually our job to make sure that that's the case. But I would tell you that, uh, you know, with inflation, headline, headline uh, PCE inflation is running about 5%. This is on a 12-month basis. Core is running at 4.4. My guess is it will take certainly into not just this year, but next year to get down close to 2%. Okay, so 2% is firm. That's, you're not going to yes. get off that. Yes. Okay. So uh, the theory of raising interest rates um, is that it will decrease economic activity and increase unemployment. But you've been increasing interest rates for a while, and unemployment is now at a record low. So what's wrong with the theory? Why is unemployment not going higher? Well, the, the labor market is strong because the economy is strong. And uh, as I mentioned, it's a good thing that we've been able to see the beginnings of disinflation without seeing the, the labor market weaken. Um, it's just that uh, it, I, there's a lot of demand for workers. In fact, if you look at the supply of workers versus demand for workers, demand for, for U.S. workers is now more than 5 million greater than the available supply. And the available supply consists of people who are either working we're actively looking for a job. So this, this, is, this was not the case before the pandemic. The pandemic really had a uh, significant, left a list, lasting mark so far on labor supply in the United States. The labor force particip participation rate came down, and there now is a, a shortage of workers, and it, it, feels, it almost feels more structural than cyclical. So that, that's, a, that's a significant issue. Now, you've resisted, I think, saying what unemployment rate would be acceptable to you, I think, but is there an unemployment rate that you think would moderate inflation such that you would tolerate unemployment at 4%, 5%, 6%? I guess I think about it this way. Um, we have two goals that Congress has assigned us, maximum employment and price stability. Price stability, as we've agreed, is 2% inflation. Maximum employment means if you want a job, you can get one. So right now, the labor market is at least at maximum employment. By many would say that it, that it is out of balance with more demand than there is supply. So what we're trying to do is get inflation down. We're not, we're not targeting uh, you know, a different uh, unemployment rate. We're, tr we're, trying, we're trying to use our tools to get inflation to come down over time. So if I wanted to go get a mortgage on a house I was going to buy, for example, uh, you would say I'm not going to be any better off waiting to next year than now because rates aren't going to come down that much in the beginning of next year, so I might as well get the house now? 
mortgage? So I, <clears throat> surprisingly enough, I get a lot of requests for advice on those right. kind of things. And you don't give any? And I, I but I really can't. Okay. I can't. I really can't respond. So uh, okay. So <laughs> on the whole, to summarize where you are. You're basically saying that the jobs data was, that came out was a little bit surprising, but in the end, you're taking, you've taken it into account and you're pretty comfortable with the guidance you gave last time and you're not prepared to give anything that's completely different guidance than you gave last week. Well, I mean, this is a world in which we've had the, the inflate, sorry, the, the, un, the, right. the, the labor market report and I think that does, I think it, it underscores the message that I was sending at the, at the um, press conference and in the meeting that we have a significant road ahead to get inflation down to 2%. And, and I, I think there's been an expectation that it'll, that it'll go away quickly uh, and painlessly. And I, I don't think that's at all guaranteed. That's not the base case. The base case is it will t for me is that it will take some time and we'll have to do more rate increases and then we'll have to look around and see whether we've done enough. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. In hindsight, would you say that when COVID hit the economy and we injected $5 trillion of fiscal policy uh, into the economy uh, and the Fed did uh, quantitative easing and other related things, kept interest rates very low, would you say in hindsight that was a mistake or it was the right policy at the time? So I think you have to go back to the decisions that were made in real time. And it was something nobody had ever seen. The global economy came to a virtual standstill. People were talking about depression. People were talking, and we, we didn't think, we, we had no idea when we would get um, uh, vaccines that worked. So Congress took very strong measures and we took very strong measures. And you see where the economy is. You've got a very, very strong labor market, but you have high inflation. I, as I mentioned, we're at the beginning of getting that down. If you look around the world, though, at other countries, they're also experiencing high inflation, including countries that didn't, that didn't do the, as much as we did, either from a fiscal or monetary standpoint. So that, that tells you, though, that a big part of this inflation is actually related to the, 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 you know, the, the pandemic itself, the shutdown and then the reopening. That's a big part of it. So there are some people that are worried about the federal debt limit and that we might not be able to extend it on time. We have $31.4 trillion of debt. Are you a little worried about the debt limit not getting extended? So the debt limit is really something for the fiscal authorities to deal with. The Fed, our only role in this is that we're the, we're the fiscal agent of the Treasury Department. We're not a policymaker on that. And I will just say this, this, can, this really can only end one way, and that is with Congress raising the debt ceiling in a timely fashion so that the U.S. can pay all of its bills when and as due. That's what has to happen. And if that doesn't happen, no one should think that the Fed 
has the ability to shield the financial markets or the economy from the consequences of, of moving too slow. So you don't have any program in place ready to go if, in fact, the debt limit isn't passed in time. This is something that Congress has to deal with. And the so-called trillion-dollar gold coin solution is not one you're in favor of, I guess. I, as I said, this ends in only one way, okay. and that way is Congress voting to raise the debt ceiling so that the U.S. can pay all of our bills. And uh, today, what about the, uh, the debt, total debt of the United States, which produces some inflation, 31.4, leaving aside the debt limit? Are you worried about the total indebtedness in the United States producing inflation, or you don't think that's a big problem? Yeah, it's not the level of debt. It, I, I would say, the thing I'd say about the level of debt is really, it's not, first of all, it's not the Fed's job, but I would say that we, we've, we're on an unsustainable fiscal path at the federal government level. That has been the case for some time, and it's something we will have to deal with. And it's better to deal with it sooner rather than later. Now, many of your predecessors were economists. You were trained as a lawyer. Um, so um, they spoke in what I call Fed speak, which is to say incomprehensible kind of economic uh, language, which was uh, done intentionally, I think, sometimes they would say. So you tend to speak in English. Um, is that a, been a, a, a plus, you'd say, when you're dealing with members of Congress so they can understand what you're saying? I like to think so. You know, I've, I've made it a real priority to, um, to engage a lot with Congress. In, in our system of government, unlike the parliamentary system, our accountability is to the legislature. It's to Senate and the House, and particularly the two oversight committees, Senate Banking and House Financial Services. And I, I think it's very important that we respect that and explain what we're doing and listen to their concerns and, and share with them how we're thinking about things. And I think they appreciate that. And, but that is, you know, we have this precious independence. We can't be removed from office. We serve these long terms. The other side of that has to be accountability. And the, the way for us to get accountability is to be as transparent as possible and try to reach you know, the people of the United States through their elected representatives. So this is a very high priority, and, and we're going to keep doing it. So when you testify in front of Congress, how much time does it take to prepare for that? Is that a one-hour preparation session, or is it a one-day session, or a one-week session? These are supposed to be monetary policy hearings under the Humphrey Hawkins Act. And they're actually on any, anything that's any political issue. So you, you, it's, it's quite extensive. You have to prepare for everything that the Fed is involved in and many things that the Fed is not involved in. Uh, so uh, it's, it's a lot of preparation. So when you get questions from some members, do you have to bite your tongue and say, why are you asking a question like that or you never have that problem? That never happens. Never happens, okay. <laughs> okay. In terms of consultation, um, do you consult regularly with the Treasury Secretary or the head of the National Economic Council or the President of the United States? How do you kind of relate to the administration? For a long, long time, you know, 60 or 70 years, there, I think there's been a weekly breakfast or lunch with the Treasury Secretary and the Fed Chair. And that's what I've had with, with uh, Treasury Secretaries that I've had as Fed Chair. I've also had I have regular, or call it, call it irregular lunches with the head of the NEC. We also have regular, regularly scheduled lunches with the Council of Economic Advisors. And that's, that's really the, that's the, that's the institutional structure of our, of our contacts with the administration. Does the President of the United States ever call you with any advice, or you don't really see, he does, did President Trump ever call you, or President Biden ever call you, or? Well, I, I think it's a matter of public record that President Trump did used to call me from time to time. Okay. What did he call you? Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, I, I haven't had that kind of, uh, I haven't gotten any calls from, uh, from President Biden. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. For people who aren't familiar with the FOMC, who is, actually is on the FOMC? The U.S. Central Bank consists of a board of governors here in Washington. There are seven governors. Those governors are nominated by the president and uh, confirmed by the Senate. And we serve terms that are, that are not synced up with the election cycle. So we're, we're independent. There are also 12 reserve banks around the country, which have a degree of independence. And so, they, so each, each reserve bank is led by a president who works there full time. All 12 of them sit on the FOMC. So that's 19 people sit on the FOMC. So it's quite a large committee, of which 12 vote at, in any given year. The Reserve Bank presidents vote on a rotating basis, except New York, which votes every year. So when you vote, um, do you vote at the beginning of an FOMC meeting and then just kind of have discussions afterwards, or do you wait to the very end and then you vote? No, we vote at the end. I mean, the, whole, the FOMC meeting process takes, you know, more than a full week. I'm talking to all of the participants, all, 19, all 18 other ones, and staff has sent around memos, and there's something called the Teal Book, which is the staff's assessment of the, uh, you know, of the economy and, and international economy and monetary policy and all that. Then we, we have an extensive discussion on the morning of the first day about the economy. Everybody talks about that. On the second day, we talk about monetary policy, and then we vote on monetary policy at, at around noon on the second day. So does the chairman of the uh, Federal Reserve Board speak first and say, here's what I think, and, or does he wait until the end and say, well, thanks for what you think, but let me tell you what I think? What do you do, first so or last? Different chairs have done it different ways. And so I, I tend, I've tended to do what my predecessor, immediate predecessor did, I think. Well, this is what I do. I, I speak last on the sort of the economic go around. So everyone else talks about what they think about the economy and in their district, for example, if they're a reserve bank president. And I listen to all that and then I give my comments at the end and I kind of sum up what people have said. And then I speak first on monetary policy. So do you consult regularly with some of your predecessors? I mean, obviously one is Secretary of the Treasury now, but uh, Ben Bernanke, for example, or? I do, I, I talk to uh, former Chairman Bernanke, I talk to you know, uh, Secretary Yellen. I still talk to Alan Greenspan now and again. When you're dealing with, this, with the, your colleagues on the Fed board and you disagree with them, do you say, look, I'm the chairman of the Fed, I am the person who has to make the final decision and this is what we should do, or you don't quite do it that way? It's a, it's a process of reaching uh, agreement. And um, I hear what people have to say, and I tell them what I think, and then I'm the one who has to bring a proposal in front of the full committee, not just the board, but in front of the full committee on monetary policy. And it works. You know, we have to reach an agreement and, uh, you know, we get to a place. I, I think you can tell today we are blessed with a diversity of perspectives on the FOMC with 19 people. Of course we are. But you, you have 
one thing that unites all of us, and that is a very strong commitment to getting inflation down. And when you want to talk to members of the, F, of the board, of uh, the Federal Reserve Board, do you go to their office or do they come to your office? I like to do both. I mean, I, I really don't like to sit in my office all day and, and have, just have people come to see me. I like to go barge in on people. And, you know, I think it's much better to get up and walk around and, and see people. And the Fed has been pretty good at uh, avoiding leaks of its decisions. Uh, how do you do that? Because most people in Washington are not so good at that. How do you avoid leaks? We, we do have, you know, we've got very strict rules around confidentiality, particularly around the written materials that we have. You know, we, we publish these things internally for, for the FOMC meeting, the memos and the Teal book and all that. Um, but the, the other thing to remember, though, is, you know, we're not trying to hide our decisions from the public. We actually, in, in the modern, in modern monetary policy, we want the public to understand how we think, how we're thinking, and and you know, if markets really understand how you're thinking and a new, a new piece of data comes in, the markets will go, well, they're going to do this. And it, it sort of happens organically. And that happened all last year. As we were you know, talking about raising rates, the market priced in rate increases long before we actually enacted them. So it's not, we want to be transparent. We're not looking to surprise markets with these decisions. So you get data from all the various government agencies, but do you ever use anecdotal things like you go to the supermarket and you see prices are high and you say this price is high? Or how do you get, do you ever get anecdotal things or people ever call you up or friends and say, by the way, you should do this or that? I mostly get uh, data, but I will say the, the, the I, I do believe that anecdotal information is very useful. And one of the things the reserve banks are great at is all 12 of them have big operations where they talk to businesses and nonprofits, universities, every sector of the, of the country and the economy. And they bring that back to the FOMC meetings and they talk about what they're seeing. So there has been discussion recently about the Fed, some Fed members, Fed board presidents, selling their securities and maybe not doing everything they were supposed to do in terms of disclosing it. What have you done to fix that process? We've put a new system and a new set of rules in place, <clears throat> which I think are best in class for a public institution like the Fed. And uh, you know, the, the innovations were that, that if someone wants to sell something that they own or buy something, they have to clear that in advance with, with staff at the Board of Governors, and then you've got to wait 45 days for that to execute. Also, you, you can't own individual stocks and they're, they're, you can only do these. You can only authorize these transactions or execute them during specific times. Um, and it, you know, it's it's a. And we, we just, of course, all of these are, are disclosed. If if your if your idea is to go to trade things, buy and sell them because you think you know uh, you think this stock is cheap and that kind of thing, that's just not something that will work. So, the what best. is the salary of the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board? <laughs> it's um it's around one hundred and ninety thousand dollars, I believe. Okay, so you're, you live on the $190,000. If you need to sell something, what do you do? You have to clear it for 45 days? Or? That's right. We, we've, you know, to, if we, we have family expenses that, if we have them, that exceed my salary, then we have to sell an asset. Do you think that's a fair salary for the job? Or? I do, yes. Do. Okay, do. so today, um, how do you coordinate with uh, central banks, let's say in England or Japan or, or China? Do, do you have regular conversations with them about what they're doing? We do, you know, and I, I meet six times a year in Switzerland with the heads of all the of many, many central banks, you know, even the, even the small and medium-sized ones at the, at, in Basel at the Bank for International Settlements. In addition, among the major central banks, I have regular dialogues going with, with most of them. And so we, what we're talking, though, about is really what's happening in the economy and how are you thinking about policy and that kind of thing. 
it's very important that, that we keep those discussions going because particularly in a crisis, you're gonna to need to know each other and you're gonna to need to know, you're gonna be able to trust each other. Okay, so the biggest challenge you have now is being able to keep a straight face, not telling people what you're gonna do in the future and look at the data and then come up with the right solution, right? That's mostly it. I, I think the biggest challenge we face at the Fed is completing the process of getting inflation down to 2%. And what, what I wanna point out is that the, we're seeing disinflation in the goods sector we're, we're going, we expect to see it in the housing services sector, and that's, that's, these are the three parts of the, of the core PCE uh, inflation index that we look at. There's 56% of the economy, which is the rest of the services sector. It's the biggest part, obviously, and we're not seeing disinflation there yet, and that's gonna take some time, and I, I just, we, we need to be patient, and we think we're gonna need to keep rates at a restrictive level for, you know, for a period of time before that comes down. Thanks for listening. To hear more of my interviews, you can subscribe and download my podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen.